0: was the result of it. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. Even on a budget, quality is
1: non-negotiable.
2: explosion. It did not appear to be related to gas having exploded, and we have called in our bomb squad to check the scene out and do a fine examination to determine if there's any evidence.
0: The Peace River country is a wide expanse that straddles northern Alberta and B.C. For years, a war had been raging in the Peace, and it was reaching its climax. A bomb had just ripped through an oil and gas shed, and residents were on edge. A week after the bombing, the RCMP held a town hall meeting.
2: We're here this evening to examine the issues that are spreading fear and mistrust in our community.
0: A terrorism expert from Toronto was flown in.
2: Now, the other source of terrorism that's has become more common in recent years uh, comes from small groups under the control of a charismatic leader.
0: Often, these
2: are little religious cults, and we remember groups like Aum Shinrikyo in Tokyo. You might remember them as being responsible for the nerve gas attack on the Tokyo subway. In a few other cases, besides the dynamics of a small religious cult, other causes might propel a small group's leader to promote violence, including misplaced environmental concerns.
0: When the man at the podium mentioned cults, everyone in the room knew who he was talking about. Weebo Ludwig, and the rest of his family, who lived on a nearby property called Trickle Creek. Ludwig was the leader of a small fundamentalist Christian community, and had been the most resolute opponent of oil and gas development in the region. Bushy-haired and sharp-tongued, he was the vision of a biblical prophet born again. For years, a campaign of sabotage had plagued the local gas companies. There had been millions of dollars in damage, and locals were convinced it wouldn't be long until someone was killed. They were right. For two decades, Weebo Ludwig was one of the most hated men in Alberta. He was seen as a scourge on the oil and gas industry, a dangerous religious extremist, a man willing to put lives at risk to serve a political agenda. But for some rural people who live cheek to jowl with oil rigs and gas flares, he became a folk hero and a symbol that the police, the courts, and the government aren't willing to protect regular people against the corporate greed and negligence of big oil. In a province dominated by oil and gas, Ludwig was an immovable object facing down an unstoppable force. So, was Weibo Ludwig the most dangerous environmental terrorist this country has ever seen? Or a man pushed to the edge, just doing what needed to be done to protect his family? I'm Archie Mann, and from Canadaland, this is Commons. The Peace region is home to 50,000 people. Oh, it's a spectacular country.
2: You know, it's the, the, the Peace River Valley is an incredibly beautiful,
0: fertile agricultural area. That's filmmaker David York, who made a documentary about this saga called Weebo's War. It has a long history also
2: of being a place where communities, religious and otherwise,
0: kind of went to get away from it all, to get away from the world. It's the kind of place that attracts men like Weibo Ludwig. Born in the Netherlands, Ludwig found God in the Canadian Navy, and he went on to lead churches in southwestern Ontario. But Ludwig's religious rigidity made him a divisive figure in his congregation. Some parishioners called him chauvinistic, and a little Hitler. So in an attempt to live a more pure form of Christianity, Weibo's family and a few others moved to the peace. The family heads up there in 1985.
2: Their dream is to kind of build their New Jerusalem, to build their spiritually-focused, self-sufficient community. It wasn't really a very big environmental focus in the early days, but they wanted to live simply and away from the world
0: and develop a spiritual community on their own in isolation. Ludwig's community settled on a patch of land that they called Trickle Creek. And those early years were difficult.
2: For starters, their early lives there, you know, they moved into an agricultural area and they were determined to live off the land, but they had no knowledge or skills about agriculture. It's like, for instance, they made a uh, pig pen. And who who knew that pigs were agile? So they had little short fences, and the pigs jumped over the little short fences. So they built slightly bigger fences. Then the pigs started jumping over those because they were training the pigs to jump over higher fences.
0: The residents of Hythe and Beaver Lodge, the closest towns, didn't know what to make of the new arrivals. Weebo was known to lecture townspeople about the horrors of the public school system and the women of Trickle Creek all wore headscarves to demonstrate their subservience to the men.
1: We had some sense that we wanted to be very different from the community we belonged to, that we felt the scriptures were steering us very differently somewhere. We were accosted for that. In fact, the town of Hythe didn't appreciate us not going to their hockey games and not going to their welcome wagon and all that stuff.
0: That's the voice of Weebo Ludwig himself. Ludwig passed away in 2012, but he frequently spoke to reporters. He was very bright.
2: He was very wise. As you say, he was extremely charismatic. And he would also acknowledge that he was kind of manipulative as well. And he would sometimes feel guilty for it. Ludwig was first and foremost a godly man. He processes the world based on his faith, and that faith for him is absolute and It determines everything that he determined everything that he did, and it determined how
0: he viewed the world eventually, under Weebo's leadership, Trickle Creek blossomed into a self-sufficient community. They're really extraordinary people they they function at a
2: very high level, you know they're not they're not hippies. They're really well organized and they live well. But the interesting thing about it also was that every dinner started not just with a sermon, but you know, with a 20 minute to an hour long discussion of what the sermon meant, what the values were that were being discussed. And I've never been in a situation where really fundamentally difficult questions were addressed by everybody. Everybody had a voice, and
0: everybody had strong opinions. And just as the residents began to feel comfortable in their new home, the trouble began. The Peace region is home to a booming oil and gas industry. So what you see is this extraordinary spiderweb
2: all over the landscape of wells and pipelines and compressors and and refining plants it's really it it's incredibly
0: intrusive. And what the Ludwigs didn't realize when they moved to Trickle Creek is that they were sitting on a large gas field. But one day in 1990, they got a phone call from a landman. A company had purchased the mineral rights to their property and they planned to develop it. In Alberta, every piece of property has two title holders.
2: Under old English common law, you own the surface of your land and enough space for tree roots. So you basically own the surface of your land and six feet below it. And the state owns the subsurface rights. So they can, in fact, sell drilling rights to your land to an oil and gas company
0: without telling you. The company made it clear that they would be coming to Trickle Creek to drill, whether the Ludwigs liked it or not. Weebo was incensed.
1: We were just aghast <laughs> at uh, how they could just come on somebody's property. Who are these people? You know, yeah. what, what are they all about? And they're going to put a, a well
0: right there? I mean,
1: well, that what was is the initial- wrong with their
0: heads? When workers would try to come to Trickle Creek, Weibo and his sons would politely escort them out, rifles in hand. Eventually, the company decided it just wasn't worth it, and they instead began to drill just a few feet off of Weibo's property instead of smack dab in the middle of it. But Weebo wasn't satisfied, especially once he learned that what they were looking for was sour gas.
2: This is a really broad generalization, and if there's any scientists out there, they're going to hate this, but oil or gas that's close to the surface tends to be fairly pure. Oil and gas that's really deep tends to be really dirty, has lots and lots of contaminants in it. So sour gas refers to gas that's contaminated with high degrees of a chemical called hydrogen sulfide, which is one of the most toxic chemicals on Earth.
0: Even a tiny amount of hydrogen sulfide in the air can cause miscarriages, brain damage, or even death. Exposure to certain concentrations of sour gas can cause chronic respiratory disease, permanent injury to eyes and breathing passages, and chemical pneumonia. In the preceding two decades, around 21 workers had died because of exposure to hydrogen sulfide. And while industry maintained that long-term exposure to small amounts was safe, Finnish scientists have found that even tiny amounts in the air can cause animals to spontaneously abort. Royal Dutch Shell was forced to pay out millions to 15 Alberta families because of the health effects of sour gas on children and animals.
2: Anybody downwind of, of a well that's exploring for gas and gas that's deep
0: can expect leaks of highly toxic chemicals. Webo decided to try to fight the company. He first tried to take action against them with the regulator, but had no luck.
2: Oh, your chances of opposing the regulator are almost zero. They were the agency whose primary job it was to bring in the income for the government derived from oil and gas activity. So then expecting them to take that revenue-generating hat off and conduct fulsome regulation on this industry that was the linchpin of the entire economy, uh, that's a bit rich.
0: The gas drilling commenced, and it didn't take long for strange things to start happening.
2: Just a bubble
1: of it came from the well, and I was just look, walking through the field kind of looking at it, and all of a sudden I hit this, this pocket, and I felt like the whole world was turning, and, and the ground was moving, and if I'd stayed there, I would have died. Uh, 700 parts per million, and that's it. You know, a few breaths. It mustn't have been that heavy, but it was getting close.
3: I mean, my dad got knocked down by it pretty bad once, too, in the field. He passed out, went in a dip, and got a real good whiff of it and fell over, and everything started swirling around him. And when he got back up and managed to get back on the hill, I mean, he was kind of revived. So, yeah, it is, We we know the dangers of it.
0: That's Levi Ludwig, Weebo's youngest son, and the new head of the family since Weebo's death. He spoke to us from Trickle Creek. Weebo had been knocked to the ground by a leak of raw gas. Harmony, one of Weibo's daughters, noticed that the animals on the farm had started aborting at incredible rates.
4: I came out in the morning, and I'd had a heifer calf in with the sheep in a, cer- a little corral. She was a really young, half her calf, was just first pregnancy, and she was dead. No, no previous warning or anything like that. Like, she was perfectly healthy, you she know, and what happened? My cow. She was perfectly healthy the night before, and, and just uh, dead. Two weeks later, uh, a number of my sheep started aborting. The lamb, when it came out, was so lethargic and, you know, like, barely breathing. And I remember just crying away and putting my mouth over his slimy mouth, you know, giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and trying to swing it to get it to breathe. And, and it happened over and over again. Like, I had about 50% of my sheep aborting. And I'm hitting myself, what am I doing wrong? What's going
0: on? I'm just like... Webo continued his battle with the oil and gas company. He appealed at the regulator. He sent letters to politicians. He went to the press.
1: If you look at all the letters, you'll see them in our archives, that we've written to ministers and authorities and to, to CEOs and to uh, the EUB, it's just an endless pile of letters. And uh, they just keep you running around. They don't really deal with what you're saying.
0: Despite numerous complaints, nothing happened. More companies started to drill in the area, and the leaks continued. If they smelled rotten eggs, the residents of Triggle Creek all had to evacuate.
3: I remember some pretty bad smells here. It's kind of a mix between, uh, I don't know if you've ever smelled a really bad rotten egg and a a rotting animal.
4: We were taping all the windows, seeing how long we could stay there, because that's what they recommended. Tape the windows, put pillows up against them. And some of the kids came up to us and said, I'm sick, mommy. And I said, you know, I'm feeling a little sick, too. I think about just get out of here, you know. But it's so. Like, you have nobody to hustle. Nobody came. Nobody came. You have to sure. hustle all the children into the van, worrying about how thick this cloud's going to get or how deadly it's going to get, and get your butt out of there, you know. But it's like scary. Like, but nobody wants to hear any of those stories.
0: And after a particularly bad leak, Kara Ludwig suffered a miscarriage. The Ludwigs have a, a
2: narrative from all of their diaries which matches up major gas leaks that happen from wells surrounding their property with mass die-offs of livestock, with mass uh, stillbirths of livestock, um, lambs, goats, sheep, cattle, and also at least five human miscarriages. Webo's resolve hardened they absolutely saw these miscarriages as murder and you have to you have to remember that they saw their conflict with the oil and gas industry in really Manichean terms this was a struggle um, of good people against the personification of evil in the world and this personification of evil was actually killing their babies and killing their livestock. We both always said that we weren't in an environmental crisis, we were in a spiritual crisis. And he viewed the battle against the oil and gas industry as a battle of good versus evil.
1: Jesus says to the Pharisees, you you see the clouds and you say, well, there's rain coming, you hypocrites. You know the signs in the sky, but you don't know the times, you know? You have to deal with the enemy when he pursues you and actually kills your children and kills your animals. I realize that there's no alternative then.
3: It's gonna be war.
0: When his public campaign to stop the oil and gas companies failed, Weibo decided to take a different tack. It started with some light mischief. Take the case of the magical moving cabin.
2: You couldn't drill within 200 feet of human habitation. So anytime anybody tried to put in a drill rig... This cabin would get dragged around by a tractor and get dumped within 200 feet of the uh, of, of the rig. And it, at one point, it had uh, like rocking chairs and uh, you know, and um, and kind of scarecrow straw, you know, scarecrow-looking straw stuffed figures. You know, one that had a, a rifle on its lap and uh, you know, a big hat on sitting in an easy chair on the front porch. But they did a lot of stuff that we, you know, we might even call in downtown Toronto performance art. In
0: 1996, a new company bought out the mineral rights under Trickle Creek. The Alberta Energy Corporation would become Weebo Ludwig's greatest nemesis. One day, Ludwig walked into their offices and started spilling sour crude in the corners of rooms. He called it nasal persuasion. Before long, a number of mysterious things started happening to AEC property. Holes began to appear in pipelines. Webo joked that he'd notice a new bird that pecks at the pipes. Entire fleets of trucks had their tires slashed. Even more found that the roads were all of a sudden littered with nails. Wells were encased shut in concrete. Power lines were taken down. Propane tanks were punctured. Heaters and solar panels at AEC wells were found smashed. The valve to a sour gas well had acid poured on it in the middle of the night. And the boot prints in the snow led straight to Trickle Creek. Three more wells were damaged, and then a month later they were targeted again. In total, there were millions and millions of dollars in damages. But besides the property damage, there were more disturbing events. Oil and gas executives started getting death threats in the mail and office buildings had their windows shot out. And because of his vocal opposition to the oil and gas industry, Weibo was suspect number one.
2: Weibo was a really public figure in his you know, fight against the oil and gas business. You know, He was constantly talking to media. Uh, they were pulling these very kind of media-friendly pranks. And so he was the kind of go-to guy in the neighborhood for resistance to the oil and gas industry.
0: The acts of sabotage continued, and the relationship between Trickle Creek and the nearby towns soured. The Ludwigs went from being viewed as outsiders to outright villains. The relationship was awful,
2: because the oil and gas business is by miles the biggest employer and the biggest cash employer.
0: The RCMP and security guards working for the oil and gas companies started to surveil the Ludwigs, convinced they were behind the sabotage.
2: They had a sensor on the road that
1: would indicate whenever somebody, one of us, left, and then somebody would pull out and follow us. We would go out with three or four vehicles, and then we'd all head in different
2: directions.
1: (laughs) You know, so they didn't know which one to follow. In order for somebody to get out of here, and then we'd circle around and come back with three. You know, stuff like that.
0: (laughs) The Alberta Energy Corporation entered into secret negotiations with Weibo to buy him out of his land. But those fell apart, and days later, two AEC wells were bombed. In August of 1998, Renee Ludwig, Weibo's daughter-in-law, delivered a stillborn baby very late in her pregnancy. The child was severely deformed. They named him Abel Ryan Ludwig, gave him a funeral, and recorded it.
1: We don't know all these things for sure, but we do know that when his mother was pregnant... weeks about no longer and the Norse and well north of us spilled all over us fiercely whether or not that affected this little boy is another question but you see his head here and uh, there's just no mass no skull and we presume he died two weeks before he was born
4: in some senses, we were in shock for a while. It's a it's a total turnaround from what you're expecting, right? You're expecting a new life and a,
1: yeah.
4: a birth that way, but you you find out that it's it's death. One thing that was very uh, beautiful about the whole experience, though, even though it was pretty shocking, but that I found that it um, it kind of uh, galvanized our community a lot together, and brought us together, and also awakened. I think the Lord used that very beautifully to awaken our um, our resolve and our determination to to uh, to fight the pollution and to to try to put an end to it.
0: Two days after Abel Ryan Ludwig's funeral, a Suncor well was bombed around 300 kilometers away. It was the most serious attack to date. By this point, the RCMP were constantly surveilling the Ludwigs. Weebo was caught
2: underclothed and hungry and cold in the bush, trying to make his way back after
0: the bombing. So he was immediately a suspect. Despite their surveillance, the RCMP couldn't tell who had actually planted the bomb at SunCorp. The war in the woods had raged for two years and caused millions of dollars in damage. But despite all of their efforts, the RCMP wasn't close to pinning any of the sabotage or the bombings on Weibo Ludwig. They needed another way, and soon they got one. Over the years, Weibo had made common cause with other landowners and environmentalists. One was a man named Bob Raitt, who owned a pawn shop in town. Raitt became close to the Ludwigs and the other families at Trickle Creek, and he came to see Weebo as a father figure. But his life soon began to fall apart. His business and his marriage were suffering, and he became frustrated at Weibo's lectures. He wanted to get out of the piece, but he needed money, so he approached the Alberta Energy Company and offered his help in exchange for buying out his farm. On October 14th, 1998, an AEC compressor station was blown up. That's what you heard at the top of the show. It turns out that that bombing of a compressor station
2: was actually carried out by the RCMP.
0: It was an attempt to boost the credibility of Bob Rate, the RCMP's man on the inside. The bombing was a, a collaborative effort between the RCMP, the then Alberta
2: Energy Corporation, And it was done with the knowledge of the Crown Prosecutor Service. So, you know, it wasn't just a rogue element within the RCMP. It would have had to have been approved by the Prosecutor Service.
0: In other words, this bombing was a literal conspiracy, an inside job. And the police and the Alberta Energy Company were more than happy to imply that it was the work of those religious fanatics at Trickle Creek. AEC held press conferences condemning the bombing, and then the RCMP and AEC held town halls about the attacks. They brought in a counterterrorism expert from Toronto to come
2: and speak in general terms about ecoterrorism as a security threat. And he kind of gave a a broad profile of the kind of person who would commit an eco-terrorist act, you know, religious basis, close-knit family, etc., etc. Very much painting a picture that there's something really dangerous happening in your neighborhood and pointing the finger at the Ludwig family. And this was in the aftermath of a bomb that the RCMP had themselves set off. The fact that... Alongside this bombing, there was a PR campaign. It seemed like it was an attempt to rile up the neighbors against the Ludwigs. That's always struck me as a particularly
0: sinister thing. Bob Raitt took credit for the AEC bombing, but he still wasn't able to get anything incriminating on Weibo.
1: Well, we never trusted him. He encouraged us to try to get involved in vandalism. You know, we'd talk about it. would talk about that he had done uh, vandalism and so on. Uh, it's, uh, it was obvious that he was trying to get us uh, exposed.
0: It wasn't until Raitt sold Weebo $100 of fake dynamite that the police felt they had enough to arrest him. Weebo Ludwig and another man from Trickle Creek, Richard Boonstra, were eventually charged with extortion, vandalism, and a variety of other things. After the town halls and in the run-up to the trial, tensions between Trickle Creek and the surrounding communities hit a fever pitch. The Ludwigs began to receive death threats.
1: I received lots of telephone calls, people harassing us. You better get out of here. If you don't get out of here, we're going to blow up your place. (laughs) <laughs> we had
4: a lot of uh, people, suspicious people, driving up and down this road at night, too. Like, late, mm-hmm. like
1: 12. Yeah, you know. that was worse, actually. Shining
4: lights here and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, racing and, the like, spinning their
1: wheels.
0: Webo's car was blown up while him and his wife Mamie were only meters away. People felt something terrible was going to happen. And on June 20th, the longest day of the year, something did.
1: No charges have been laid, but a lot of accusations are being made tonight following yesterday's fatal shooting at the farm of a man named Weebo Ludwig. Early Sunday morning, a 16-year-old girl was killed and another teen wounded.
0: That night, a number of the girls at Trickle Creek had been sleeping out in a tent.
4: We were redoing our room, so we slept in the tent for the night. But... I just remember waking up with this deafening noise. I mean, it sounded like the truck was right beside us. Mm-hmm.
0: Some drunk teenagers from the nearby town had come ripping up the road to Trickle Creek. So there were a group of kids in a tent on the front lawn. And these two pickup trucks went blasting up the road.
2: And they started kind of doing wheelies in the front lawn, basically ripping up one of the vegetable gardens. One of the pickup trucks apparently tried to pull down one of the windows. But the truck that was doing wheelies on the front lawn came apparently dangerously close to a tent where the kids were
0: sleeping. Someone from Trickle Creek grabbed a rifle and shot at the truck. The truck drove off, and Weibo eventually called 911.
1: Operator, what can I do for you, Reverend? Ludwig, Oh, just had a couple of vehicles. Loud mufflers run through the yard and the lawn here. You'll probably find a couple of bullet holes in their boxes. 911 operator. Okay, you shot at someone, sir. Ludwig, someone shot at them, yes.
0: What he didn't realize at the time was that one of the bullets had hit and killed 16-year-old Carmen Willis. The shell from the rifle hit a point in the steel frame of the pickup truck at the
2: bottom of the box and it ricocheted up and it tragically killed a young
0: woman who was sitting in the back seat. Many people had expected there would be a casualty in Weebo's war, but no one expected it would be a popular athletic girl from nearby Beaver Lodge. Carmen's family and friends were devastated by the loss and demanded justice. And they became enraged when Weebo spoke to the press. He blamed the teenagers, the oil companies, the community itself. Years later, he told David York that the killing didn't really bother him at that time.
1: Just kind of, oh my God, for 15 minutes I thought, oh, what is this going to mean? Uh, This is really tough.
2: You must have just felt
1: sick. Yeah, I did. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. Like, don't get so worked up about it.
2: His reaction was, this is going to be really tough. This is going to make our lives really difficult. I think his second reaction was noting the tragedy that a young girl had just got killed on the farm. And he would then, he then equivocated about well it was a young girl but she was out late at night with boys and they'd all been drinking and so you know kind of passing some of the guilt off to the you know to the to the victim in this and then he he essentially said that he wasn't responsible that ha- this happened in the context of a much larger conflict and that it was god's will that This conflict was taking place and it was God's will that this happened and that he couldn't and shouldn't take responsibility for the death of that girl. He made those kind of statements to local media and that made their lives very difficult because obviously, you know, for anybody, if a teenage girl dies, your first response needs to be empathy, not equivocation. And he failed that test. And he acknowledged that he failed that test.
0: But he did fail it. Weibo blamed the outside communities for riling up tensions.
1: Carmen Willis as well, who who would not have been lost if this industry had not created that kind of conflict around here. And uh, that's part of the reason we have her picture on there too. As blood that has been spilt because of the uh, recklessness of the industry.
0: And he made the decision that no one on the farm should talk about it.
1: I said even publicly uh, if somebody here did it not to talk about it. It's too hot right now and uh, I don't want them to mention it uh, because it's not going to get any justice if someone uh, here comes forward they're just going to be you know, like a pack of dogs pounced upon, and so I told them to shut up
0: about it. To this day, no one has been charged with the killing of Carmen Willis. The Ludwigs were immediately ostracized. Businesses completely boycotted them, and the death threats continued. But the trial of Webo Ludwig and Richard Boonstra was a disaster for the police. The investigation into Webo Ludwig was one of the most expensive RCMP operations up to that point. Despite that, the evidence they had was weak at best. And during the trial, the RCMP bombing of a well site was uncovered. But Weebo Ludwig was eventually convicted on five counts and was sentenced to 28 months in prison. Weebo was determined to make use of his time.
2: He was already a pretty good handyman, um, but turned himself into an extremely good Finnish carpenter using the wood shop in the prison. Um, he did a lot of reading. He did a lot of studying. He did a lot of writing, and he did a lot of preaching and uh, preaching and counseling to the other inmates. And he developed
0: really strong relationships with some of the other inmates. When he was released, oil and gas development around his property had gone down significantly. at that point
2: the oil and gas business had kind of subsided around their area and they'd certainly understood that it wasn't worth their while to do too much exploration around the ludwig farm so they had a period of five seven years of seven eight years i guess of relative calm and the community started really prospering
0: during that time the miscarriages pretty much stopped in 2008, there was a major gas find in nearby Tom's Lake. The oil and gas companies once again came knocking, and the sabotage and bombings returned. Two years later, over 200 RCMP officers in SWAT gear descended on Trickle Creek. Weebo Ludwig was arrested, but released without charges. Levi, his youngest son, was also briefly detained.
3: And I was on a walk and ran into a six SWAT team, guys, that was kind of scary yeah i mean you can imagine <laughs> in the morning walking into six guys fully armed
0: <laughs> webo denied he was the bomber but he defended their right to protect themselves against the oil and gas companies
1: when it comes to self-defense a person uh, has a kind of a natural right to to act on those things in whatever way he can to to keep it from happening that's uh, especially when there's no uh, sympathy from those uh, authorities who could put a stop to it. And, uh, you know, sometimes the law's an ass. Uh, It doesn't really meet the situation on the ground. And when people break because they'd have no other place to make a a voice be heard, I think there needs to be some consideration given to that.
0: Weebo Ludwig died in 2012 from esophageal cancer. David York who had a contentious relationship with Weibo when he made his documentary, visited him at Trickle Creek a few days before he died. I went up to visit him, and I was up
2: there for a few days, I think eight or ten days before he passed away. And uh, he was amazing. He was clearly He was clearly dying, and it took all the strength he had to get out of bed, to get dressed, and to go for his you know, a shortened version of his daily walk with Mamie, and then to sit down for an hour, two hours a day with me and talk. And we kind of made our peace
0: after all of our conflicts. Since Weebo's passing, the relationship between the nearby towns and Trickle Creek has improved. They're no longer shunned and boycotted, and the families at Trickle Creek continue to live in the way that
3: Weebo taught. I would say it definitely uh, definitely made us stronger in that way, and and also unified. Whenever you like in in the wars in the past, it made uh, people a lot more unified. Going going through hard times would actually bring people close and strengthen their love for each other a lot.
0: Webo Ludwig remains a controversial figure to this day. To some, he was a man who fought to defend his family and his land. To others, he was a dangerous radical with blood on his hands. But Webo wasn't the only person sabotaging the oil and gas industry in Alberta. Far from it. As I researched
2: the film, uh, what I found is that in in the mid-90s, when the first big boom of sour gas was happening up there. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of incidents of sabotage. There's not a chance in the world that the Ludwig family would have been responsible for all of them. In fact, I've had it described to me as the dirty little secret of the oil business, that when the oil business lands in an area, sabotage starts happening immediately because they're, they're lousy neighbors. All of these conflicts, are none of them are going away. I mean, right, right now, Oil and gas exploration is at a standstill in northern Alberta because of prices and all the rest of it. But if oil and gas exploration ever perked up again, these kind of acts of sabotage would perk up again as well because people have to defend their land and they have to defend their families.
0: And when people try to fight the industry, the industry can fight back with everything they've got. I think
2: that the oil and gas industry is a powerful force, and in jurisdictions where it is the principal industry, they become an all-powerful force. What we learned in the Ludwig in the case of Weeba Ludwig is that the oil and gas industry can bend lawmakers to their will, they can bend police to their will, they can bend prosecutors to their will, they can cajole police and others to do acts that seem immoral or even illegal, and there are a few repercussions. <laughs>
0: later this season on Commons, why the Alberta government wanted to use nuclear weapons on itself, and one of the biggest cover-ups in world history. That's your episode of Commons for the week. This is the second episode in our new series, Crude, which takes a look at the wild world of Canadian oil. This episode relied on reporting done by Andrew Nicky and David York. Check out the book Saboteurs or watch the documentary Weebo's War if you want to learn more. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CanadaLandCommons, that's C-M-M-S. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLandShow.com. This episode was produced by myself and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. And our music is by Nathan Burley and Kevin Sexton. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash canadalong.